This morning, I preach to you from John chapter 1, verse 19 through 28, about John the Baptist. The Baptist prepared a people for the Lord Jesus Christ, and that preparation was to change their lives. No matter what sector or segment of society they came from, there were things that he knew they should do better to be a people ready for the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect example of how God wants each of us to live. He also taught us how he wants us to live himself and by his apostles. His apostles didn't teach anything that he had not taught them. They were to go and teach us all things whatsoever he had commanded them, and the Holy Spirit would bring everything to their remembrance that they needed to remember to make sure we didn't miss all the commandments of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Baptist preachers preaching Jesus Christ also preach changed lives. We want to please the King of Kings. I have been preaching to you God's rules of marriage from the Bible for the last seven weeks. But, as the Lord does sometimes, that subject became totally dry and dead to me this past week. Because I had so much material on Wednesday evening that we couldn't get through, I assumed it was that he wanted me to finish our sonship study. I've added 20 slides since Wednesday, and I have 40 more to add. But the Lord didn't leave me content with that, though from Wednesday through Thursday, I thought it would be sonship. On Thursday, He convinced me of this subject that I want to bring to you. You have heard it before, but we don't want to just glory in John 1, and John the Baptist, and the Lord Jesus Christ in a doctrinal way, what would they both preach to us to change something about our lives to please God more perfectly? You young people that recently went to a youth retreat got very close to this subject. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22. It doesn't matter whether a verse in the Bible was written down by Solomon, king of Israel, son of David, or by John, son of Zebedee, apostle of Jesus Christ. There's one author of all. And it's the Holy Ghost. And this is the word of the Lord. I had, by God's providence and our random generation, this proverb to prepare and edit and its commentary on Thursday, which was released Friday af- Thursday afternoon at 4 o'clock for reading on Friday, the 22nd, of April. And it's one of the best of the 915 verses of Proverbs. And I want you to rejoice in it. This is the word of the Lord. 
This is what John the Baptist would preach. Of course, he would also preach the other 31,101 verses. But he would preach this. And Jesus would preach this. And Jesus gives us a great living example of this text. I share with you one of my favorite Proverbs and what ought to be one of your favorite Proverbs. And I hope before I'm done, you'll know it by heart if you haven't already memorized it. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 11. Proverbs 22 and verse 11. He that loveth pureness of heart For the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. This is a great proverb. It has three parts. First, the condition. He that loveth pureness of heart. This is where it starts. And it's a condition laid down that leads to the second part of the verse. For the grace of his lips. What the mouth speaketh out of the abundance of the heart. If we keep our hearts, our mouths are but a vent to our heart. Oh Lord, forgive us for the the gaseous, bile, that escapes our mouths, that are a vent to bitter, wicked hearts. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. The reward is at the end. The king shall be his friend. If you want to advance, prosper, grow, in relationships and in your profession, This is the verse, along with others in this book of practical wisdom. When we walk in to the gold-paneled library of God, the divine library that has 66 volumes on the shelves, one of them are the prime premium Proverbs of Solomon. He wrote 3,000. We only have 500 of them. In 915 verses. But this is a great one. This is wisdom from God and wisdom from Solomon for your life. Embrace it and love it with me. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. If you love pureness of heart, your speech will automatically be gracious. If your speech is gracious... Noble men, great men, want you in their company because they trust you. You are comforting, helpful, pleasing to them by your speech. On the other hand, the vast majority of men are obnoxious with their speech. No one wants to be around them. The woman that talks too much, the woman that nags, is the odious woman of this same book of Proverbs. No one likes her. No one wants to be around her because she yaps. And Solomon and God can't stand a yapping woman. Nor a yapping man. Lord help us. This is one of Solomon's finest proverbs. 
Here is wisdom for your success. Inspired advice to take you to the top. In just a few words, the God of heaven outlined how a few special men distinguished themselves in the world. I'm fully prepared to preach for weeks on marriage if the Lord convicts me to do so. I'm fully prepared to preach more on sonship to you, but the Lord said no the way He's always said no to me and that this is the subject. So let's embrace it. Anything that I say that sounds hard and harsh to you, I'm saying the same thing to me, and I have more people sitting in front of me that know my speech, whether it's gracious or not, than any of you. So back off. Humble yourself and realize that what I'm doing is very painful to me, more painful than it is for you. I hate the fact that I have three borders right now. I'm glad you're flying away tomorrow, Titus. And you can fly away with him, Colin. And David, hurry up and get that wife down here so that you can join her so that you can't see me, talk or hear me, talk to my wife. Let's just be plain and simple about this subject. The people that we are the least gracious with are family members. That is the strangest, most perverse, abominable twisting of things that should be. The only help that I need on the doctrine of total depravity is to go into my bathroom and look in the mirror. The last thing I need is tulip from Kelvin. All I need to do is look in the mirror of God's Word, and in that mirror I see so many blemishes and flaws. We cannot go our way forgetting what kind of man we are, or girl we are, or woman we are. You know what James taught in James chapter 1. We are to look into the mirror of the perfect law of liberty, and in that perfect light all our blemishes and faults show up, and we should hate those faults and blemishes, and we must change. The man who gets up in the morning and he's going to an important interview, he looks in that mirror, he sees all the things that are wrong, the disheveled hair, the sleep dirt in the corner of his eyes, the snot dried in his upper lip, the the whiskers growing out in blotches and patches. He has so much work to do before he goes to that interview. But this is better than any mirror. It shows us up, and I'm going to do that to you right now. And so let's all humble ourselves before. Listen, my wife's sitting over there. Every one of you can do better. Every one of us can do better. And be more gracious in our speech. By starting with our hearts. And then realizing the Lord's given us a reward for it. And He'll bless us because of it. Our Father in Heaven is so wonderful to tell children to honor their parents. And I don't mean obey them. I mean to honor them, that he'll give them a good life and a long life, that it may be well with thee. Those, that's just wonderful. He knows, he knows when he attaches a, a reward because it's the first commandment with promise. He knows, and he's got one right here. Let's go for it. Precious wisdom we've got. It starts with a pure heart. A pure heart is a heart that is free from bitterness. We are not bitter against anyone. We purge ourselves from the bile of bitterness. An unresolved offense. 
something that we don't like about someone and we're going to hold on to it because it makes us feel good thinking something negative about them. Get rid of it. That isn't a pure heart. That's a stench in the nostrils of God. Envy that we resent someone else's blessing and favor and greater abilities than our own. Guile that we would pretend or deceive or lie or misrepresent or exaggerate to anyone. None of that should be in our hearts. Hypocrisy that we are, we are not consistent in our heart with our outward actions. We want a pure heart. That means we have to go home and wrestle with our heart all week so that our heart all week is like we present ourselves on the Lord's day in the Lord's house. No malice. We have no ill will toward anyone. We don't want something bad to happen to anyone. No pride. We don't think of ourselves as more important than others. No selfishness. That we just keep ourselves limited to our own little lives. And each of your lives is a very little vanity. Mine is the same. So it's pureness of heart. We're free from bitterness, envy, guile, hypocrisy, malice, pride, or selfishness. When our hearts are that way, gracious words flow out. Gracious words are acceptable words. Do you know that acceptable words have nothing to do with what you think of them? That's painful. I think everything that I say should be accepted. Thank you, brother. We're both depraved. Acceptable words are what other people think is acceptable speech. It's what God thinks is acceptable. Agreeable words. Gracious words are acceptable. They're agreeable. They're agreeable. They're courteous. They don't behave themselves unseemly, as Paul would put it in 1 Corinthians 13. They're forgiving words. We love to forgive. We don't want a pound of flesh. Yes, we do. We want to give a pound of flesh to others. Let them abuse me. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that it is better to be defrauded that's to give a pound of flesh than to ever demand one. Yep. If we're smitten, smitten on a cheek, we don't fight or argue or bite back. We bless. We bless. Bless them that curse you. We turn the other cheek. We give a pound instead of want to take one. Gracious words are acceptable, agreeable, courteous, forgiving, gentle. They're kind words, merciful words, pleasing words. It doesn't matter whether they please you. We need to please others with our words. The combination of these two things, a pure heart releasing gracious speech, is so delightful and rare that noble men are drawn to it. Instantly and deeply drawn to it. The nobler and the godlier, if they're God's elect especially, love such a speaker. Graciousness is the most beautifying character trait. Young ladies, if you want to be attractive, which means to attract, be gracious. It's the, it's the greatest charming character trait that you can put on that adds to your appeal to others. It's amazing. You know, Americans will spend so much on makeup 
and hair and cosmetic surgery. But what they need is graciousness. Graciousness. I just said what gracious words are like. And I'll have more definitions coming. Acceptable. Agreeable. Courteous. Forgiving. Gentle. Kind. Merciful. Pleasing. Selfless. Warm. Friendly. A gracious person is often described as a beautiful or charming person, whether a man or a woman. Graciousness makes a person delightful. You want them around. It's so pleasant to have them around. They're so winning in their personality and character traits. This graciousness differentiates men and women. There can be two girls in our church. Two 17-year-old girls. Two 30-year-old young women. Two 17-year-old young men. Two 30-year-old young men. They both fear the Lord equally. That means that they tremble before Him. But one may not have put on graciousness as much as the other. And the difference is stark. If you're taught in the Bible, and you look for what God said. So when we say that we only marry those who have an independent fear of God and love of Christ, we mean that. That is the foundation. And if you go look at our rate of date test on the website, three pages long, that fear of the Lord is satisfied in one paragraph at the top of the first page. Then it goes in and adds character traits like graciousness. Young men, if you marry a gracious woman... You're going to have peace and pleasure the rest of your life. Women, if you marry a gracious prince, you will never be abused, but praised and loved verbally. If you don't make that selection, you will regret it. The trait of graciousness is most clearly shown in excellent speech. You know, there's some other parts of life that show it a little bit, but it's really what comes out of the mouth. And so we have this verse here. Let's say it again because you might have forgotten it. He that loveth pureness of heart for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. If you want to advance, to grow and prosper in your profession, in your relationships, you need to memorize this. Loving pureness of heart is something you do every waking minute, even in your bed. When a thought pops up that is negative, critical, bitter, bad, black about anybody else, cut it off. I will not think that thought and then think something good about that person. If you can't do it, then get down on your knees and pray for them. It'll cure you. And that's a pure heart. Jesus said that's a pure heart. In Matthew chapter 5, when He said that's how we should treat even our enemies. And so if you're constantly purifying your heart, I am not going to think any bad thought. This person has offended you. And so you put the worst construction possible on their offense towards you, and you make them out to be worse than they are in the constant churning of your mind. They've become your master. You are their servant. And you are serving the devil in the process. Because that is the wisdom from beneath. James chapter 3 and verse 14 says, Blow it out. Lord, I don't want to think that. I will not think that. You can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth you, I am a Baptist preacher preaching Jesus Christ to you. He did it. You can do it by His power. He will bless you in the doing of it. 
But you, you've got to have a pure heart. And we do that when every waking minute we have thoughts. Especially those of us who are melancholy in nature. We have multiple wheels turning at the same time that are churning about people. Make them churn with good thoughts. Gracious speech is guarding every word when talking. So how do you do that? You cut your words in half. And if it was already a big number, cut them in half again. Cut your words down. Look at what the Bible, look at what Solomon wanted to say about the number of words. Um, since we're in 22, I mean, you can look back at chapter 20. Oh, we're going to look back to chapter 17. Then we'll go to 10. Chapter 17, look at verse 27. One of the first things you can do is cut your words down. Brother Zach was putting a hurting on me this morning. He wormed it out of me what was coming to some little bit. So we were in a circle of men and Zach just stood there, quiet as a funeral home operator, looking all so pretty in his nice suit. And the pastor was just going wild. Little little smile at the corner of his mouth. He had me. Look at these two verses. This is from the wisest man, and God put him on earth for us to learn wisdom on how to get along with people. Proverbs seventeen twenty seven. He that hath knowledge spareth his words. The man that knows the most says the least. And a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. That's graciousness. Do you want to be of an excellent spirit? That means you talk less. Verse 28, even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. He's telling you how you can affect your reputation in the perception of others. How do they perceive you? Back off on the number of words. Chapter 10 and verse 19 of this book says this, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin. But he that refraineth his lips is wise. O Lord, help us. In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin. There will be sin in a whole lot of talking. Back to 22 and verse 11. And what does it say? It says, He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. Pure thoughts, kind words. Pure thoughts, kind words. Pure thoughts, kind words. The king will be your friend. How did Joseph do so well in Egypt? He was 30 years old. He was in prison. He was only 30 is what I mean. He was only 30. He was in prison for attempted rape. He was hauled out of there in shackles and put before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the most powerful man in the known world at that time, who had 50 to 100 or 200 cabinet members standing around him, men who had aspired to the highest positions in the Egyptian government. Joseph stands there, explains the dream that Pharaoh had, and does it in such a fine way that Pharaoh said, (laughs) that was painful for everyone there, but Joseph, Pharaoh looked around and said, can anyone think of a better man than this to take charge of our country? They had all aspired to that for years since they graduated from the military academies 
and the political science schools like Columbia? How did he do that? His gracious speech. Genesis 41, 37 through 45, and I don't have time to look at all the references that I would like to. You're welcome to look at them later. A certain brother in this church, our webmaster, has prepared Proverbs 22 and verse 11 along with 914 other Proverbs with hot links to every cross-reference. You can sit down at that thing on our website and just pull your mouse down that page or online and click on cross-references and they'll all pop up for your easy use. Thank you, brother. A marvelous tool. Marvelous! Joseph is put in the throne of Egypt at 30. He is a foreigner. On his record, attempted rape. He is a lowly Hebrew who were shepherds that the Egyptians despised. When he was hauled out of prison, did he blow off steam about Potiphar? About being treated like a slave? And Hebrew lives matter? (laughs) Did he? Not a chance. He went in there and gave Pharaoh the best advice Pharaoh was ever going to hear in his life on how to get ready for seven years of famine. Seven seven years of famine? Seven months is hard. Anyway, how did Daniel, around 20 years of age, win the loving favor of one of the greatest and harshest kings of human history, the Chaldean Nebuchadnezzar? He followed the same plan of pure motives and gracious speech of Joseph. At the end of his life, when he shouldn't have been as sharp as he was at 20, he's now 90 plus. It is said of him in Daniel chapter 6, he was of an excellent spirit, and though they vetted him as thoroughly as possible, his enemies looking into every nook and cranny of his life, they could find no fault in him. He sits with Nebuchadnezzar and has a chat in Daniel chapter 1 after graduating from their fast-track political science school of how these foreigners can help Nebuchadnezzar run an empire that stretched from India to Ethiopia. And Nebuchadnezzar knew that he was talking to someone ten times smarter and better and more gracious and, and more honest than anyone he'd ever met. And he promoted him and his three friends very highly. That's at 20. At 90, it's Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian. And in between, it's the son and the grandson and other Chaldeans. And then it's them. In a succession of the empire, there was a man kept around. And it was Daniel the eunuch from Israel. Though a eunuch for 70 years, he was gracious and he was faithful and he was of an excellent spirit. An excellent spirit is gracious speech revealing a pure heart. Because he ha- an excellent spirit is a pure heart. All these words are synonyms for each other with very minor differences, which I'm not going to belabor your mind with. Consider Solomon. Solomon admitted weakness for gracious men by giving us this proverb. He that loveth pureness of heart for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. Well, who was writing this? A king. So the king was admitting, I like these kind of men. And you know what? If Rehoboam had listened to the wise counselors of King Solomon, how many tribes would he be ruling today? Twelve. How many did he get? Two. 
because the other ten stoned his IRS agent that, that he sent after them, and they said, what do we have to do with you, David, or, and the sons of David in the tribe of Judah? Right. He lost ten of the tribes. Rehoboam did. You know why? Because Solomon grew up at a supper table where graciousness was taught. And do you know how it was taught? Because the story was told of David and Jonathan. David and Jonathan. When David came back from killing Goliath, he had Goliath's head. It was large in his hand. And he comes in and Saul asks, Abner, who is this stripling? And then David got closer and they, who are you? The son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. I'm the MVP. He didn't say I'm the MVP. And I just want to be thankful to God for blessing me with so many abilities more than you guys. You know, that's backdoor complimenting of the NBA. They'll, They'll throw God in there. They don't know who God is. But they want to talk about all their abilities. David never said anything like that. I'm the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, thy servant. Jonathan had his heart ripped wide open with joy. Jonathan, 30, 25, 30 years older than David. Let's just say for the moment, 50 to 30. 40, 45 to 20, or 50 to 20. 25, 30 years older than David. It's commonly thought that they were two teenagers, but it's not. David, Jonathan had long been in authority in his father's government, even before David was born. Jonathan has his heart ripped. He's never heard anything like that. And there's a conversation that takes place between Saul and David, King David. And it's so gracious, he loved him as his own soul. And King Saul loved him. When King Saul was in his right mind, King Saul loved David. David never changed. King Saul changed. Saul loved David. And you know what it says? He would let him go home no more. You are staying with me. You are staying with me. The king shall be his friend. Who was David? He killed Goliath. He was a little shepherd that his own brothers couldn't remember even existed. He was a little shepherd that his father couldn't remember even existed. When Samuel had gone to Bethlehem to anoint the next king of Israel, they didn't even think of bringing David forward. They brought his seven brothers forward. Samuel went through them one by one from oldest to youngest, and the Lord kept saying, no, this isn't him. This isn't him. Finally, they met David because Samuel said, is this all you've got? David's heart was free from any ambition, guile, pride, or selfishness. Solomon grew up with that story. You've grown up with that story. I won't let you forget that story. Because David was gracious. David was so superior to Saul... They're not even to be compared as men. Saul was profane, unstable as water, ridiculous, impatient, foolish, selfish, vain. David was the opposite of everything Saul was. Enemy kings, mercenaries, foreign kings love David. Saul loved David. I could turn you to multiplied passages. When David had to live in Goliath's hometown, one of the strangest occurrences in the Bible, David, fleeing from King Saul, had to go live in Gath. We're only talking about a few years separation from the killing of Goliath. David has to go live in the hometown of Goliath called Gath, 
And Achish is the king of Gath. Achish loved David. Achish told David, you have treated me so faithfully. You know what David wanted to do? Let his uncircumcised blood out. But he behaved himself even in the presence of his enemies. Achish said, you'll be the keeper of my head forever. You will be my personal bodyguard forever. Mighty Itay of Gath led 600 Gittites. Those are soldiers of Gath to mutiny against the Philistines to follow David wherever he went for the rest of his life. Itay, with 600 mercenaries, followed David for the rest of his life because David was so charming with his pure heart and gracious speech. Hiram, king of Tyre, one of the wealthiest cities and nations on earth, always loved David. When Solomon had the kingdom and Solomon needed special wood and special stone workers, he sent a letter to Hiram, king of Tyre, to help him build his houses and the house of the Lord. And you know what it says of Hiram by the Holy Ghost? He was ever a lover of David. Doesn't say anything about Solomon. It just says, ever a lover of David. He that loveth pureness of heart for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great, appreciated and favored John the Baptist. In spite of John rebuking his adulterous actions with Herodias, it's the wife that got him killed. John favor, I mean, Herod and Antipas favored John the Baptist. Did many things. You can read about it in Mark chapter 6. Paul found favor with Roman governors, captains, centurions, and kings by the same formula of Joseph, David, and Daniel. The proverb is true. He that loveth pureness of heart for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. Be gracious always. Start here. Never think a negative thought about someone else. You're worse than they are, you little pervert. Quit twisting things to make them look worse than you are. You self-righteous judge. Get rid of that. I'm talking to me too. Don't think evil. Think positive. Think of the good things they've done. Be gracious always. Do you grasp the power of this rule from the mouth of God and the pen of Solomon? Do you see the Bible examples? Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life, and one of the first issues of life that flow from the heart are your words. So guard them. Paul would say in the New Testament, let your speech be always with grace. grace. Minister grace to the hearers. Hate forwardness. Always frowardness. You know, God uses the word odious for yapping women. He uses froward for yapping men. Don't allow critical, hard, or negative words out of your mouth foolishly. Do not be demanding, harsh, proud, or severe unless rare circumstances call for it. How can you stop offensive speech? Don't think the thoughts in your heart. Only think pure thoughts about others. Look at 11.16. This is what John would preach. This is what Jesus would preach. And if you're hungry 
Jesus kept on preaching. But he was able to give you some loaves and fishes afterwards. You're going to have to go to Hibachi Grill. Proverbs 11 and verse 16. A gracious woman retaineth honor. This is one of the best Proverbs in the Bible. Ten words. Five for women, five for men. And strong men retain riches. A strong man with great character doesn't lose money. He makes it and he doesn't lose it. He keeps it. A gracious woman retains honor. Everyone loves her, always esteems her, wants her to be their friend, wants to be in her presence, wants her around because she's gracious. No gracious person thinks they're gracious. No odious person thinks they're odious. And that is why they are odious. It is something that has crushed me in my ministry since 1984. That I cannot reach the odious. Because they think themselves gracious. And I bludgeon the gracious who think they are odious and take my preaching to their heart when I could say, why don't you leave the assembly? Blown my mind. Because an odious person always thinks they're gracious because they measure their conduct conduct by their own standards. Conduct is only measured by the standards of others. Their perception is all that counts. Short of immorality, and you know I'm not dealing with that. Nobody cares what you think about your conduct. No one cares that you're like your mother. What is acceptable? And so we have this verse, A gracious woman retaineth honor. Girls, if you'll be gracious, everyone will love you. Guys, it's not for you. That comes next. But it's like strong men. There is a strong relationship here of do and the consequences of it. If, then there's consequences. If a man is strong in character, when it comes to financial matters, he'll retain his riches. If a woman is gracious, she'll retain honor. Everybody will love her. It's the kind of women, it's the kind of girls that are mentioned as examples to marry. There are girls that are examples to marry. I'm talking about the church of God. There's examples of girls to marry and there's examples of girls not to marry. Look at 22.1. It's so easy. Sort of. 22.1. Oh, we pervert things. You think you're making yourself better by thinking evil about someone and all it's doing is corrupting you and that stuff is going to come out of your mouth later and then everybody's going to know what a pervert you are because you've perverted things. In our hearts, we ought to think good things about others. Then those good things flow out of our mouths and that's graciousness. He that loveth pureness of heart for the grace of his lips, the king, even a king, shall be his friend. That's, a, that's as high as you can rise in this world. 22.1, look at this. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. To be gracious is a choice. To be gracious is a choice. Because you can have a great reputation. A gracious woman retaineth honor. It's a choice to retain honor by choosing to be gracious. By choosing to have a good name. It never has, it doesn't have anything to do, and it never has anything to do with what you think of your character. With what you think of your performance. It is how others perceive it. Because they are right and you are wrong. You're too blinded 
You're too emotionally involved. Do you know that there are transactions in the world that if you are even a distant relative of somebody involved, you can't participate in it because you're emotionally involved? Well, we're talking about your graciousness. Of course you think you're gracious. Repudiate your evil heart. If you don't have people flocking to be around you and loving you and choosing you, you're not gracious. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. It's just a rule of God's Word. And it's a rule to learn. David learned it. Jesus learned it. Psalm 45 and verse 2. Grace is poured into thy lips. Luke chapter 4. Reading the Word of God for the first time in his hometown synagogue of Nazareth at the age of 30. The whole crowd of Christ-hating Jews wondered at the gracious speech that came out of his mouth. When the Pharisees sent men to entrap Jesus, they came back and said, Never man spake like this man. A virtuous woman speaks very cautiously. She is not bold or forward. She does not try to give her opinion. She is very cautious. She is discreet. And she only speaks with kindness because there's a law of kindness in her mouth. Proverbs 31, 26. She says only acceptable things. That is things that other people think are appropriate for the occasion. It doesn't matter that you think you're helping. That's the whole problem. You're thinking. Stop thinking and stop talking. She says only acceptable things. She says them only at acceptable times. The meek and quiet spirit of good women that is described in 1 Peter 3 is what God and men admire. It's a large part of graciousness. Meek, never putting herself forward. An unwanted woman must examine herself through the ears of others. Two things that she can do are one, to reject all critical and negative thoughts, and two, to cut her words in half. Look at 11.22. Proverbs 11 and verse 22. John wouldn't let you go in 30 minutes, so don't worry. We don't need to be too much longer. I want you to love this verse, 22.11. Have you forgotten it? He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. 11.22. As a jewel of gold in a swine's snout, so is a fair woman which is without discretion. This is... This is God's language. This is God's word picture for us. A 2,000 pound muddy, sweaty, stinking female swine. And it's got a ring of gold in its nose. A fair woman which is without discretion. What's the gold represent? She's beautiful. What's the pig represent? She's not gracious. Now this is what the Lord says. Now when the woman's a ten, and she's not gracious, the Lord says she's got a a nose ring of gold, but she's still a 2,000 pound pig. Now what if a woman's a five, and she's not gracious? There's no nose ring. I mean, that's just ugly. I guess that's the point I was making. It's ugly all the way around. Anyone, whether you're a five or a ten or a two or an eight, can beautify yourself with graciousness. 
Oh, Lord, help us. And you can't cover an ungracious woman because everywhere she goes, she's got to do this. And so the, book, the Bible tells us in chapter 27 that no, man, no matter where a man takes her, he can't get away from her. And everybody knows that he is married to such a creature. Oh, Lord. Ecclesiastes 10.12 says that gracious men speak very carefully. Look at Ecclesiastes 10. It's very close by. Same writer, but the same author, the Holy Ghost. Ecclesiastes 10.12, the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. He will just talk until he drowns in his own saliva. Just on and on and on they go. The lips of a fool will swallow up himself, but the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is mischievous madness. Oh, let's cut our words down. A froward man is difficult. He's harsh, obnoxious, perverse, unreasonable. He's the opposite of gracious. Kings delight in righteous speech, for they want counselors and advisors and ambassadors that represent them well. Solomon, in many places that I'm not going to turn you to, praised good speech. Jesus was a great example of it. Graciousness begins with a pure heart. Have you got that message? That we need to arrest our hearts and not think evil about anyone. A pure heart produces gracious speech. If you think kindly about others, if you rule your spirit, guard your tongue, you'll be gracious. Jesus grew in favor with God and men. That's what I want for you. That's what John would want for you. That's what Jesus wants for you, to grow in favor with God and men. And how do we do that? He that loveth pureness of heart for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. That's how we grow in favor with God and men. The perfect place to practice. You want to know where the perfect place to practice is? I've already told you if you're listening carefully. It's at home. It's at home. It's at home. Why are we the least gracious with the people that have done the most for us? Depravity. The perfect place to practice graciousness is at home with spouse, parents, children, siblings, where you are generally the least gracious. We let down our guards. We, th- we say to ourselves, they should know that I love them, though I'm sarcastically jabbing them, poking them, ridiculing them. They should know that I love them. After all, I brought home the bacon for the last few years. So do pigs without gold rings bring home the bacon. Listen more, talk less. What can you do to be different? Listen more, talk less. Promote others. Learn to live charitably with that wonderful sentence in 1 Corinthians 13. Charity suffereth long. Avoid folly. Hate jesting. Be cheerful. Be content. Exalt mercy. Develop pitiful compassion for others. Never talk about yourself. We don't want to know about you. Do we need to write you an email? We don't want to know about you until we ask. Let's talk about the Lord. You know, the Bible says foolish talking, filthiness, and jesting. There's something more convenient than all that. It's the giving of thanks. Let's give thanks. Let's lift each other up. Don't volunteer information to us about you. We'll ask when we want to know. Only say what is acceptable to others. It doesn't matter what you think. Does anybody hear me today? The odious think they are gracious. The gracious think they are odious. Because that happens 
because they have a sensitivity about never wanting to offend another person. That's a gracious person. They are sensitive to ever offending another person. And because they're so sensitive, they think that they offend most people most of the time. So that makes them very careful when they open their mouths to always be gentle and kind, compassionate, friendly, and agreeable. But an odious person who thinks they are gracious is insensitive and just blows off and yaps little opinions here and there, male and female, men and women, boys and girls. Parents need to teach their children. We need to pray for it. David had a pure heart, but he asked the Lord to search his heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. That's a prayer for this thing. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy precepts. David would say, make me alive to the way you want me to think about others. So pray for it. Pray for a greater measure of the Holy Spirit. Because if a man is showing love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, do you think that person would be gracious? Definitely. Definitely. Those are components of graciousness. Parents, teach your children. If Christians were more gracious in their speech, more would be attracted to our religion. Since the founder and teacher of Christianity, the Lord Jesus Christ, had a perfectly pure heart and totally gracious speech, speech, it is a disgraceful shame when we speak differently than he did. You have the divine power to do this. You have divine power to do this. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me by the presence of his Holy Spirit in us. For the glory of God, let's do it. Let's adorn the gospel. Let's follow Jesus Christ. Let's advance. Confess your fault to the Lord. Confess your fault to others and charge ahead. Let's change. I need four ushers. I'm handing you three pages. The first two pages compare in two columns, gracious conduct compared to odious conduct. It's excellent family devotional material. It's excellent personal material between a husband and a wife. Because we husbands and wives should always be wanting to be a great team for Jesus, Christ, glory, and honor. The third page is a little quiz that you can work through. It's got 44 questions. It's got 44 descriptions of conduct that you're supposed to look at and figure out whether they're gracious or odious. And then when you get to the bottom, you can say a little bit about yourself. Just wanting something for you to take home. To continue to think about graciousness and odiousness. There's 44 on the quiz. And it's not really a quiz. There's no... There are right and wrong answers for each one of these, but you should be able to figure them out as to which is the most gracious and which is the least gracious and most odious of these 44 things. You can do it with your children. You can do it with your spouse. You can do it yourself. The two pages in front of that are a column-by-column comparison between gracious conduct and odious conduct. Let your speech be always about others. Be other-oriented, always. You're not supposed to be thinking about your things only, but the things of of others. Philippians chapter 2 teaches that. Never, never talk about yourself unless you're asked. Listen. Reduce your word count. 
Please, the Bible tells you to. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. It's been said we have two ears, one mouth, to listen twice as long as we speak. Silence is odious. Some of you that don't talk, silence can be odious because you put too much pressure and discomfort on anyone around you because they have to make up the conversation because you won't help them. That is not gracious. Some of us do not like standing, emoting with you, and just staring at your blinking eyes. We need a a little bit of verbal communication. Silence is not golden. Reduced words are golden, but not silence. Get over it, please. Always seek to edify other people. Always be wanting to build them up. Say something good to them about them. Comfort them. Encourage them. Don't talk about third-party things out here. Except it be the Lord and this person that you're talking to. Make it Lord-oriented and other-oriented. Don't let folly come out. Oh, Lord, save us. Save me. Ecclesiastes 10.1 Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking salver. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. Let your speech be merciful, charitable, meek. Forget moodiness. It has no place in a Christian's life. Gentleness. Let your speech be gentle. Practice with your family. Be enthusiastic for others. Always courteous. Forgiving instantly when you have an opportunity to forgive anyone. Be super sensitive to the feelings of others so that you don't offend. Let's be self-deprecating like John was. Let's be affectionate. Let's put into practice Proverbs 22.11. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. The condition is a pure heart. The result, the result is gracious speech. The reward is advancement in the sight of God and men. May the Lord bless our church to do that for the glory of the gospel, the adorning of Jesus Christ, that we might be more like him who had grace poured into his lips so that we sing majestic sweetness sits enthroned upon the Savior's brow, his head with radiant glories crowned. his lips with grace or flow. May God add to the preaching of his word. Amen. Amen.